I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Jay Crame. I'm the editor of the Eagles Big, a Palace fan site, and I'm also co-host and producer of a local community radio uh, show called uh, The Meridian Sports Show. So you can get us on Twitter at The Meridian SS or at The Eagles Beak. Hi, my name is John McKenzie. I'm the founder of All Stats, Aren't We?, which is a Leeds United fan media channel which focuses on the stats and the tactics of all things Leeds United. And you can find us at All Stats, Aren't We?, on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We might not all be in the best of spirits given how our matches went this weekend, but we'll try to power on nonetheless. I wanted to start off by talking about a club who is in even worse shape than than any of us right now. Um, Norwich were pretty highly praised for their transfer window. I think Dave and I both gave them either B pluses or A's for their transfer window. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Daniel Farker coming back to the Premier League, having obviously been up two years ago. Um, and the fact that they'd already have that Premier League experience, they could get off to a better start. Uh, not been the case to date. Zero points and already a minus 12 goal difference just five games into the season. Uh, I guess we'll just start by asking you guys, are, are you surprised by how much they've struggled thus far, given given those things that I've mentioned? Um, probably not. I, I think they've been dealt a rough hand with the fixtures, to be quite honest with you. They've had a pretty rough set of fixtures to kick off a season back in the Premier League. I, I think after 10 games, you could probably tell a little bit more in terms of you know they may have faced a few teams which uh, are at their level but obviously they lost to Watford at the weekend but I think that's really you know off the back of the tough fixtures they've had um, I do think that they sold their soul a little bit by selling Buendia I don't know what the situation was whether he wanted to go or, or whatever but I thought it was a it was a massive part of their promotion season and selling a player of, of that caliber is going to hit any team I think so I, I do believe that you know, they, they 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 dropped they, they dropped one there a little bit. In, in terms of bringing the players in, players have got settled. They've they've had quite a high turnover, and yeah, you'd think that they'd have a bit more now coming back to Premier League. But I think these days, teams coming coming to the Premier League, there's always going to be the odd one or two that get through a net and survive. You know, a, a couple of seasons or maybe longer. But I think it's getting harder and harder to survive in the Premier League now. I think Norwich are one of those teams that are just bouncing between the two divisions, really. A bit like West Brom, a bit like Fulham. Yeah, there's a few teams, you could say, the very same for, really. Uh, I mean, Fulham put up a good fight. They had a terrible start last season and actually you know, got their sea legs a little bit. And the second half of the season, they were, they were very good. And actually, if they had a bit more luck, they, they may well have survived last season. But yeah, you, you could say the same for Norwich. But I think it's early days. They've been dealt a rough hand with the fixtures. Had some really tough fixtures against you know the big sides. And I think the, the loss against Watford was probably just a hangover from that, really. But they do need to start getting some points on the board and, and, and getting some goals, really, to, to kind of give them a bit of confidence and build from that. Um, was it five games in? It's a tough start. 
you know, let's face it, they, they, they would have hoped to have had something by now. But I, I would I would look at them again after 10 games. You know, they can't get too far adrift. But um, yeah, I think they're just one of these sides that is just going to, you know, they, they don't have, they're not, they're not a side which is renowned for having a lot of money and spending big money. Um, that's no offence to Norwich at all. They, they cut their cloth accordingly, which a lot of football clubs have to these days, particularly when you go down to the championship. I think a lot of the clubs in the Premier League and, and fans in the Premier League don't appreciate that. You know, there's a lot of clubs that actually do bounce between the divisions, and you know, luckily my team haven't for some time. Which you know, we, we used to be the very same. You know, every, every other season, but the Premier League is a very different, different beast now. It really is. So it's, it, I think it's getting harder and harder for teams to do it. Yeah, I totally agree with what Jay's saying there. In the, in in conclusion, there that the Premier League is a different beast to to what we've expected. And I think what we're seeing with the clubs like Norwich is that they're they are thinking smart about the way that they approach the 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 league and and their their general place within football so their um director of football Stuart Weber who is often talked about um is following some protocol that they call the infinite game which is I, I think a pretty smart way of approaching things obviously their their ownership is Dino Smith and, and her husband so this this isn't a a, a corporate backed club this is a, just a small local club that's being run by two people who uh, i guess never anticipated being the owners of that club and they decided that the best thing they could do is uh, approach the the game and and the the the, the task of running a, a football club by um by adopting sort of smart practices and that's that's what they're doing and so they consider themselves to to be managing one of the top 25 clubs in in the uk now obviously the premier league has only 20 clubs in it and so that means that at times norwich will end up falling out of the premier league and and they are aware of that and they admit that um and i think it's a smart way of, of running things the the fact is that i guess norwich are used to dropping down and coming back up and the big question for them is are we in a good position when we drop out of the premier league to be able to get back into it after a season in the championship and i think that's what um the, they'll be they'll be looking at that's what they'll be focusing on that's what they'll be working on so yes obviously when you get into the premier league and you start the way that they have done it's not pleasant for the fans um and no fan really wants to see their club necessarily being run in in a way that that will see them bomb out of the of the league but i think as jay said that that ability to sort of move in between the two divisions for a few seasons to just solid yourself up uh, has worked for his club, Crystal Palace. And I think that's what Norwich are looking for in the long run. They're looking for for that one season where they can just cement a place, stay up in the in the Premier League uh, and then build from there. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be this season, but I think that they will not be too worried about that because I'll say, well, we can go down next season and we'll be back the following season and maybe that will be our year as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a funny one because I think a lot of fans now sort of look at clubs who do that and, and they sort of think, oh, I wouldn't want that to be my club, but that is the reality for a club like like Norwich City. And, um, yeah, I think if it works out for them, then then no one will be, will, will be laughing in a couple of seasons' time. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point that you guys are making about the kind of coming up and down. And we have talked before with some people that said they wouldn't mind being down a year just so they could see their team win and then come back up. But <laughs> I wanted to kind of follow up on that thought, though, which is with with parachute payments and with the continued uh, lack of financial equality in the different leagues. Do you think like you already mentioned two sides that have done it a lot recently in West Brom and Norwich? Um, Swansea were in that group for a while. You mentioned Crystal Palace a little bit earlier, but do you feel like we're going to just keep cycling through the same five teams now as like the, the teams get their parachute payments, which is enough to dominate the championship, just come back up. They're not good enough for the Premier League and then just keep interchanging. 
I mean, that's an interesting point because you know, got Brentford up this year for the first time in in the Premier League. So yeah. you know, they're they're a new face. It's always good to have a new face in the Premier League. But as John will testify, the Championship is a horrible division to be in. It's hard to get out of. And and fair play for the likes of Norwich, West Brom, and Fulham for doing what they've done. And you know, maybe they're a bit yo-yo clubs, but actually continuing to do it. You know, it's just as hard to get out of championship as it is to stay in the Premier League. Let, let, let's face it; it's not it's not an easy division. It's it's 24 teams. It's 46 games a season. It's games most you know two games most weeks. It's it's a horrible division and it's a very competitive division. Probably one of the most competitive in the world, I would say, to be quite honest. And that's what makes it attractive to watch as a neutral. I would say because I'd hate for Palace to be back in that. I, I really would. Um, but just in terms. And the parachute payments, yeah, there's an element to that. You do wonder, you know, how how long that can go on for because it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because teams do have to stretch themselves to try and survive in a Premier League. But, you know, the, the, the money that's available to them, you know, for a whole season, I mean, I think it's something ridiculous. I think the last count was 100 million, isn't it, for, for finishing bottom of the Premier League, something like that. And then you've got the parachute payments for, for three or four seasons after that. It may well have changed since the last time I looked. But, you know, that's still a lot of money. So, um, you know, I think Norwich are a good... Um, sort of yardstick for how they manage their club. Like John said, they do a very good job with that. And they, you know, they don't they don't stretch themselves in a way like somebody like Sunderland have done in the past. And, you know, look at the state Sunderland are in now. So, you know, it's all about managing the finances and managing your capabilities and not stretching yourselves too far. I mean, I think it's a challenge for all of the other 14 clubs in the Premier League as they are, because Palace are in a very difficult position at the moment because you want to strive to 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 make that next step but as we've seen before by the teams that have gone before us you try and make that next step to to kind of try and challenge for a top 10 spot each season or, or maybe even push for a top seven spot and maybe a european campaign you know every once in a while but you know likes of sunderland and stoke stretch themselves and you know they, they've just disappeared out of sight you know sunderland more so so you know you don't want your club to be in that position but i've got a lot i've got a lot of um you know, I, I value what the likes of Norwich, Fulham and West Brom have done because they've, you know, what their models are, are doing the right thing. Yes, they change managers. Yes, they change players. But, you know, it's been relatively successful. And they, But the, the unfortunate thing is not many teams have been able to make it stick in the Premier League, which is which is difficult. Um, I, I do think the parachute payments do lend themselves to seeing the majority of the same kind of teams coming back each time. But, you know, we've just seen Brentford come up for the first time in God knows how long, and they've been knocking on the door for, for a fair while. Um, other teams have been in and around, you know, championship to try and get back into the Premier League. And it's nice to see new faces, but, you know, I think the majority of those sides will be the same ones bouncing back every season or every couple of seasons because of, you know, the the, 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 the amount of money that's involved. Yeah, interesting to hear you talking at the beginning of uh, in asking the question about the the inequalities in in football because uh, far be it for me to defend the Premier League and when the charge of inequality is thrown at it because it obviously is an an, an an unequal league, but actually compared to a lot of the other divisions in, in around Europe, it, the reason why I think we're seeing this phenomenon happening is precisely because that money is being. Um, shared down the, the the pyramid a little bit to a certain extent. And what mm. we're seeing is that there are clubs outside of the top 20 of English football now who are uh, enjoying that that money coming through to them. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one for me because what happens is that if you outgrow your league in that sense, you know, you've got more clubs than 
than you can necessarily cater for in, in your division, then you are going to end up with a situation where you'll end up with five clubs who are going to be going up and down uh, relative stages. So I think this is actually a phenomenon caused by the, the amount of, of money that there is in the Premier League. Uh, not to say there isn't any inequality, but um, I, I think that, that that's probably a good situation to be in because you know that you're going to have clubs now coming up who are having to think carefully about what it is that they do because they do have a chance of if they think um, smart about the way that they're going to approach the division uh, they will have a chance of actually staying up for a few seasons and 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 so you'll see uh, clubs actually improving in, in the in the long run so yeah I think there's there's definitely a positive um, angle to this as well yeah I think that's really interesting it made me think some of uh, what Huddersfield and I think I want to say Cardiff at the time did, um, which was largely by championship players so that mm. if you stay up cool, but if you go back down, you still have that strength if you've now bought some of the better championship players and you'd stand a better chance mm. again the following year. Didn't actually work in either of those two examples, but uh, <laughs> it is definitely an interesting thing to think about. Uh, cycling just back to Norwich in particular here at the back end, uh, too early to panic or should people already be a little bit worried about their status come the end of the year? Good question. I, I think there'd be an element of panic, but I think we go back to the fixtures. They've been unlucky at the fixtures, and I think it will kind of work itself out as the season goes on. There is a lot to be said for that, how the schedule works out, because it it's clearly not their confidence big time after you know a couple of beatings, minus twelve goal difference. I think you said, Kev, that is tough. I, you know, for Norwich, I think it's a free hit. You know, they they would want to survive as fans, but it's you know getting to the end of the season. If and if you're if you stay up by goal difference or just by a point, then it you know it's great. You know, it's a great feeling. But if you're going to go down by you know if you're down by you know start of March or end of March, whatever it is, then you know it's disappointing. So maybe that model with Farker in charge hasn't worked as well as they hoped, and they might have to look at a change. But at the moment. Yeah, I think I'd be a little bit worried as a Norwich fan, but actually probably not a lot they'd have expected uh, any better at this point after that run of fixtures. So I think the next few games are quite critical for them. Yeah, I think that Norwich are gone, to be honest with you. Maybe it's a bit early to say that, but uh, I, I don't really see them being able to turn it around and get out of the, the, of the, top, uh, the bottom three. Maybe they will not finish dead bottom but I, I i think that's just the reality of what we've been talking about and um yeah I, I suppose for them the frustration is that it's felt as though as you said at, at the top of this section they've brought in a lot of sort of interesting players um from from around the the continent that you might have thought would allow them to kick on um but whether or not there's there's going to be panic there i don't know but I, I don't think that they will be panicking i think they'll just say well we expected this and and if we go down we come back up so yeah it's 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 a funny one I, i'm not feeling particularly hopeful about norwich but um and and that's i think largely because there there just doesn't seem to seem to be any quote unquote bad teams in in the division this time around i mean even Teams like Newcastle, who you might expect, like you might expect to to be the the, the whipping boys in this division. They they've got good players. They have they have a squad of players that that you know on their day can compete. Um, not with everyone in the division, but certainly with the teams that they need to be able to compete with. And so, I just don't think that there's going to be a huge amount of uh, wiggle room really for for clubs to get out of it. And even at this point, with with Norwich just not picking up points, I think it's going to be really tough for them to get out. 
Yeah, time will certainly tell, but I, I do agree. It feels like by the time they get warmed up, so will everyone else, and then they'll just kind of be stuck down there for a bit. Though it should be noted that, you know, Burnley are there with one point. I think a win would take them out of the bottom three, but yeah, definitely not a promising sign thus far from Norwich. Uh, I wanted to move on next to talk a little bit about uh, managers. So uh, in particular, Pep Guardiola this week has had a bit of a war of words with uh, his own fan base and I think it's the head of their supporters group uh, in particular that he was asked to apologize to by uh, the media in his press conference which he uh, politely declined uh, and I was just curious uh, your guys thoughts on on this kind of antagonistic relationship between those two it seems to also be happening with Bruce and Newcastle at the moment but specifically at City somebody that's won as much as Pep Guardiola has Basically, ever since the Kane transfer didn't go through, he's been uh, a little on edge in his press conferences. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a lot of time for Pep. He's a great coach. He's done a great job for City since he's come in. Uh, but, you know, this kind of thing, I think you've got to be careful what you say to foot, football fans because, you know, the last 18 months hasn't hasn't been a joke, has it? Let's face it. A lot of people have suffered um, through different reasons. But obviously, you know, we've all got a you know, a connection here in terms of what's happened in the last 18 months. He should know a bit better. You know, I'm not being critical of him, but I think you just need to be very careful about what you say. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs, you know, haven't uh, made, you know, had the income that they would normally have had. You know, football isn't cheap. You know, we know it's not cheap. Uh, You know, we travel up and down the country week in, week out. Well, I mean, obviously only recently week in, week out, but um, it's not cheap and it's not easy to, to follow football. We do it because we follow our teams. We love following our teams and it's, it's what we do but you know I think he has to be very careful about what he says because footballers are paid a lot of money managers are paid a lot of money Man City have a lot of money but actually to be to be saying we want more fans at grounds yeah I I get the point I get a sentiment but actually at the moment after what we've just all been through I I think that's yeah I think you're you stand on thin ice a little bit there with the with the fan groups and the fans I I think you just got to be a bit careful you know just in terms of yeah, relationships with managers and 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 clubs. I can you know I can speak from from our perspective at Palace. I mean, obviously we we don't we haven't really got to know Vieira an awful lot. We don't really know what he's going to do, you know, ahead of a you know a game at the moment. We haven't really got uh, got used to his his ways and, and stuff like that. But actually, the fan groups at Palace have a very good relationship with the club. They really have. I mean, there's there's a lot that's been said about the Homestead fanatics and and how things are organised within the club and and how they sit and where they sit. Uh, at, at grounds and both home and away and it's it's always been a you know it's, it's always been a very smooth transition in terms of communication between the club and the fans so it's it's always been pretty healthy over the last 10-15 years which has obviously seen us you know one of those fan bases that are quite vociferous at grounds because uh, you know the club support the fans and and do a lot for fans yes you know no club is perfect there are things that you know probably should have been done differently and stuff like that. And that will always happen between, you know, particularly clubs in the Premier League. But I suppose you could say the same for clubs in, in other divisions as well. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I think Pat's got to be very careful about what he says because, you yeah, know, it's, it's been a rubbish past couple of years. And, you know, a lot of people may not have the finances they, they used to have, you know, going into a new season when we're allowed to go back to football. And, yeah, I think it's a little bit dodgy ground that he's talking about there, concentrating the football. It's ironic, isn't it, when you look at the timeline of this, that what happened was that Pep Guardiola came out of a Champions League fixture where they didn't fill the stadium and said, Mm. we've got a big game at the weekend, please turn up, it's going to be a difficult one. And then they didn't end up winning that game after all of this. (laughs) It ended up being a difficult game. Mm. Um, I think this is largely a lost in translation situation. I think, as I've said, the timeline there 
Manchester City have a have a history of of their loyal fan base not really having a great amount of time for UEFA uh, for various reasons, uh, and so they do struggle to sell out um, the stadium on uh, Champions League, particularly group stage games. Um, and I, I suspect that that Guardiola was simply saying, you know, this is a big game at the weekend, and uh, and it would be good to see the the stadium full. Um, I I suppose. That as you as you've been saying, Jay, that, that it can be misconstrued, and you have to be very careful about how you you say these things. I, I would mm. say that the context given in recent press conferences has been that he has made similar comments at other clubs that he's been at as well, um, and also that you know other clubs that he's been at. I mean, I, th- I, re- I was reading a Twitter thread I think the other day about his time when he was at Barcelona with arguably one of the greatest um, football teams, at least the the football team that at the time was one of the best in the world that we'd ever seen and um, they were struggling to fill the stadium out there and he he made similar comments there to the fans about about um filling stadiums but yeah i suppose the irony is again that, that, that this is a problem that is caused by the professionalization of football that we've seen in in recent years right the hyper capitalization of football and and pep guardiola is almost at the forefront of that right this whole idea that you can you can get the the manager who can bring together the best players in the world and, and produce really scintillating football uh, out of them um the problem is is that that has come at a cost and that cost is that the, the the ticket prices have have risen the the amount of money that is being paid to footballers has risen and it's pricing a lot of people out of the market and so yeah I, i'm with with jay as well in in that sense that um you, you know you, you you sort of you live by the sword you die by the sword if you create this this footballing reality where whereby everything becomes just hyper inflated then you are going to face issues about how do you get just local fans in how do you fill stadia um how do you fill yeah, the, the seats with people who aren't just VIPs or people who are doing um, tourism um, around stadiums. It's it's a really tricky situation to be in. So um, I think with with all of that context in place, though, I, I do think Guardiola is probably making a fair point, and it's it may have just been a little bit of lost in translation here. Mm. And we shouldn't have assumed we knew what he meant because he got pretty upset about that <laughs> pretty much post conference as well. And I do appreciate the long term context. Didn't realize that it was also happening at Barcelona. Um, it, and it does seem like this is like an ongoing issue at City in particular. I don't know if you guys saw that post where they were like trying to get influencers in to talk about how great the match day experience was and how it wasn't actually as empty as people thought it was. It was just like. Guys, I I don't know what the solution is. I am not bright enough to know what the long-term solution is to this particular Mm -hmm. issue. But I know everything that they're doing thus far seems to be wrong, uh, which is a much easier form of critique. But Mm. uh, yeah, hopefully they can... To be honest, Kev, Kev, but one thing they could do is lower the prices. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's not not rocket science, is it? If If you're struggling to get people in the door... Yeah, you, it might hit your pocket a little bit, but come on, football's not had fans for you know God knows how long. So, especially when they're know, so institutionally insecure about yeah, this particular I, issue. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I I just think you know the club could you know football clubs could give something back. You know, considering you know what these clubs have put us through over the last, and I'm, you know what I'm referring to, you know the, the mm. Super League and stuff like that. It's you know, these clubs could give their fans something back and actually, you know, do much cheaper tickets. I'm not saying forever. I'm just saying for a period of time, if they want fans back in the grounds, they've got to understand the reality of the situation that a lot of people have been through, you know, and a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people have been hit. 
financially and I'm sure a lot of fans would want to go and watch City play football you know a lot of City fans would want to go but priced out the market football has got to that point now where it's you know it's gonna it's gonna end up eating itself and I think you know last the last 18 months has been a real reality check for it you know actually you know they they could lose a lot I mean financially you know some of the top clubs in in the Premier League have suffered through it and and that's you'd ne- you'd never have thought that for for something that's hit us so I think there is a real reality check there and you know there was only one reason the European Super League caught their eye was because it meant that they could get some money and you know a lot of these clubs in, in the Premier League have suffered more surprisingly than a lot of people would have thought so yeah I you know, if they want more fans in the grounds, cut the prices. That, you know, it may it may not make sense, you know, in the long term. But for the short term, if they want fans there and it is actually something they they have an issue with, then yeah, give away some tickets or make them cheaper. I know it's not rocket science to me, but yeah. I'm just looking at the um, home attendances for Manchester City this season, and I think the issue is clearly that they're filling the stadium. Like when it's a Premier League game, they're getting over fifty thousand for every every game. Mm. So fifty one thousand mm. Norwich, fifty two thousand Arsenal, fifty two thousand Southampton. And then you look at the RB Leipzig game. If memory serves. Yeah, so it's pretty much pretty much full, I guess. I don't mm. know even if if that's if it's slightly reduced because of COVID reg- regulations as well. But it's when you look at the Champions League thing. It's, it's RB Leipzig thirty eight thousand, mm. and. And I, you know, they, I think they are offering those tickets. I live fairly close to Manchester, and I've been to loads of Champions League games because friends will say, oh, "I've picked up cheap, cheap tickets just <laughs> a couple of days before. Do you want to go along?" So, I think so much of this just comes back to the fact that the Manchester City fans have, um, I, I suppose, a, a history of not liking UEFA because of the the various FFP things that have happened, mm. and the, the Champions League is considered a plastic competition by the by the quote-unquote true Manchester City fans um, mm. whatever you make of that um, mm. scare quote but yeah I, th- I I do think that you know that I don't think for the sake of what 1500 seats if they're not selling out that they're going to reduce the the prices I don't think this is about necessarily filling the stadium um, for Premier League games I think it's simply about trying to the frustration for Pep that City are essentially a club who are trying to win the Champions League and yet their fan base don't seem particularly bothered by that especially in the group stages yeah definitely interesting to hear that they are basically doing it already which makes their efforts to fill it all the weirder if they're already basically doing it but as you say maybe it was just to try to get people there for champions league matches i think it's an atmosphere thing as well though yeah because probably it Mm. it is a it is quite a poor atmosphere at times in in the city ground and maybe again that i've been to mainly uh champions league fixtures where they've been selling cheap tickets and so it's a lot of people doing what i'm doing which is just going along Mm. to to have the chance to see a good european side but um as i read it it's just sort of pep guardiola saying come on Let's let's get fill the stadium and make some noise. Um, and and I think people are, are getting offended by that fact. Which, yeah, maybe he should have said it in a better way. Maybe he shouldn't have said it at all. But um, I, I do think that's probably what it comes down to. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points. Uh, Jay, you touched on the relationship between uh, Vieira and and the Palace fans already. Obviously, not not too mm. far into that tenure. But uh, from you, and then and then once we get to you. Uh, John, to, to talk a little bit about Bielsa, what is the relationship like between the, the manager and the fans there, especially since we've been talking about how uh, there are some other clubs where it's not so great at the moment? <laughs> yeah, well, it's early days with Vieira, isn't it? But he's he said all the right things. He's done all the right things. He's talked very highly of the fans. 
Um, he's had the first home game against Brentford, which, you know, the fans are very loud and vociferous and, and cheering his name and that kind of thing. So, you know, he knows he has the full support of the fans and, and the atmosphere at the Spurs game last weekend was just actually off the scale. I mean, obviously the, the result helped, of course, but actually those are the first three goals we've seen at home for, you know, since we've been back to football. So, you know, there's a lot of outpouring of emotion of, uh, you know, actually seeing live football goals and, and that kind of thing. But actually the atmosphere that day was absolutely electric and um yeah and uh, and Vieira like I say he's he's doing the saying the right thing it, it's difficult to answer that really because it is very early days but you know he's one of these players that knows the Premier League he's you know he, he played in the Premier League for years with Arsenal and he's been to most of the grounds and he knows you know knows most of the teams yes he's not managed before in this country but you know he knows the deal he knows how the fans are he knows how the Premier League works so you know he's not He's not a fool by any stretch of imagination, but I think we just need to get to know him a bit better. Uh, early early signs are very good. You know, he's very he's a very fan focused kind of guy. He said exactly the right things, and uh, and even after the Liverpool game yesterday, he was very critical of exactly the same things that, that the Palace fans are critical of. So it's it's quite refreshing in a way that we now have a manager who is calling things out. Yes, he's a bit raw because he's uh, you know is is a young manager in comparison to to a lot of others, but you know maybe he'll learn from that and uh, bite his tongue a little bit more. But actually. It's been quite refreshing after the last four years we've had, and, and no offence to Roy, he's, he, he did a great job for us and uh, helped keep us in the in the in the in the position we are. Um, but actually going to somebody a bit different and new ideas and saying different things, it's um, so far it's been good. And uh, yeah, only time will tell as the season goes on, really, and, and as we get to we get to learn more about Vieira and his ways and that kind of stuff as a manager, because uh, yeah, it, it's very young on that side of things. And the same the same in the you know the other way. I think there's a lot of positivity around the club at the moment just the way that things have happened and the transition you know fans appreciate what's actually happening at the club and can see that things are changing an awful lot from you know from the last few seasons under Roy so I, I think Vieira's bought a lot of time because of that you know you, we can see things happening so so yeah I, I think it works both ways every time you mentioned there Kev that there's a lot of friction in, in, in other clubs but I think you know the friction is caused by um it's not always a manager, you know, if it is between a manager and and, uh, and the fans, then, you know, the club have something to do with it as well, which I think he points out, like so Newcastle, um, you know, there's obviously history there and, and that kind of stuff. But I, I'm just glad that we're, you know, Palace are, are quite healthy on that front, um, you know, this season, albeit we still need to get to know Vieira, he still needs to get to know us, but actually the other signs are very good. Yeah, it's interesting hearing how much of this has got to do with the, the way that the fans respond to the the manager's performances um, because <laughs> obviously it leads uh, after the last three seasons I would have said that Marcelo Bielsa could do no wrong in the eyes of the fans but we're what five games into this season and there are already rumblings about um about about Bielsa I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that the off pitch stuff becomes very difficult when you have Bielsa and we're in a situation where we've definitely needed to make signing this summer but he just doesn't seem that interested in in anyone who isn't Conor Gallagher or Dan James um and I guess that's that's fine but we are in a situation now where he's been at the club for three seasons he's never been at a club for more than two seasons before this and so we're sort of in we're not in Kansas Toto anymore territory so um <laughs> with with Bielsa and so I, I feel as though the, the the issue now is that we're we're really getting to see firsthand what happens after three years of Bielsa ball and um, it's it's yeah the worrying thing for Leeds fans I think is that 
you know, five, five games in, we're not really seeing any signs that the sort of scintillating football we saw last season is going to be repeatable this season. Um, so I'm sure we are going to see Bielsa have a little bit of a wobble with 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 the fans. But obviously, there's so much credit in the bank from him. Uh, he's a great manager to have as a as a fan because he he does talk very well about the fans. He realizes his responsibility to the fans and will talk about the fact that that um, football is about entertainment at the end of the day. And uh, there's the famous story of when he had first arrived at Leeds, taking the players out litter picking for a certain amount of hours to make them realise what the fans go through to, in order to be able to afford a, a ticket to come and watch them play, just to instil in them the, the seriousness of what it is that they are doing and their responsibility before the fans. So, yeah, no no complaints whatsoever from that front. Um, and yeah, I think he say, he says all the right things. He knows that that football is for the fans. Um, although along the way there have been some some little glitches here and there, namely with Kiko Casilla. But that's another topic for another podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know if it will, but uh, <laughs> it, it <laughs> certainly could be. Um, all right, we'll kind of just flow from there into your manager's or, or general club's philosophy towards the cups. Obviously, Jay. I know uh, no longer in the Carabao Cup already, but uh, <laughs> sorry about that. That explains everything, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> you know what? It just might. But yeah, I was just curious what, what the uh, kind of institutional thinking on on the Cups versus the domestic competitions is. Yeah, interesting one. I mean, under Roy, you know, it always felt like there wasn't really a lot of interest in the Cup competitions, particularly at the early stages. But I think you could say the same for most Premier League sides in the early stages, you know, put out weakened, uh, not weakened sides, but it's a, it's an opportunity to play fringe players, uh, you know, or, or see fringe players because you haven't had the opportunity to play them in the Premier League yet. Um, you don't have as many games in the Premier League as you do, you know, the, the rest of the football league. So there there is an element of that. I mean, this season... Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to decide under Vieira because it's such early days. Came in, in the summer, um, he played quite a strong side against Watford in that cup game, actually in the League Cup. Um, but we uh, we did end up losing to them very narrowly and a uh, bit of a rubbish tie for the first round. To be quite honest, another Premier League side, you always kind of groan when that happens. You just want a, a lower league side that you've not played before or for some time. So you know, unlucky with a draw, but you know, we we didn't put in the performance that uh, was expected of us and. Again, early days in the Vieira era, really, as it still is. So time will tell with the FA Cup when that comes round in January, whether we're... I mean, that that is the Cup, isn't it, really? I mean, it's, you know, I think as fans, um, and maybe some fans are different, you know, any Cup is, uh, is worth winning. But I think a lot of the time, League Cup kind of becomes a hindrance and you wonder, of why it's even on the calendar sometimes with the with the questions around how much football's being played. Yeah, I'm I'm sure if we'd have won it, I'd be talking very differently. But it just seems a, a fair amount of hindrance. And yeah, we're out of it this season, so maybe that's why I'm saying this. But FA Cup's a little bit different history behind it. Palace have had, you know, we got to the final a couple of times in my lifetime supporting the club, so I know the feelings around that and 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 what that creates around the club. So I'd love us to have a FA Cup run for sure, but. On the flip side, you know, there is an element of fear because as a Premier League side who, you know, you don't know whether you're going to survive each season, you know, do you, whether the FA Cup run will hinder you. So the Premier League is a bread and butter, let's face it. And there's there's a massive kind of, you know, thought process there as to, as to which way we go. You know, if you're lucky with a draw, you know, maybe you can get to that stage and then take it seriously. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see what Vieira decides to do as the season goes on and kind of what position we're sitting at come the end of the year when the when the draw for the third round is taken. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, well, under Marcelo Bielsa, the first 
three seasons under him, we only, I think, won three games in, in knockout competition. Um, so you can make of that what you will. Um, this time around, we've actually seen Leeds play a fairly strong team in the first um, Carabao fixture against Crew Alexandra, uh, which we which we run quite comfortably. But we're playing Fulham this midweek and we don't have enough players available. Uh, and so it will be a weakened team, um, even if he didn't want it to be. So, um, yeah, it will be fascinating to see what the, the Cups do this time around. I think there's been too much frustration amongst Leeds fans that we just sort of throw on seven or eight under 23s players and then a surprise that it doesn't look pretty we had a an fa cup exit last season to crawley which was particularly egregious in that respect um but this time around yeah he he does seem to be putting out stronger players maybe he will be trying to get um a stronger a stronger team out as he can on tuesday because he wants to leads to pick up a first win of the season and get some momentum so um i'm I'm kind of fascinated to see what uh, the, what what the what the um approach to the cups is uh, it's it's fascinating as well given that we've come from the championship where you just have huge amounts of fixture pileups um to then come into the premier league last season and then not really take the cup competitions that seriously despite the fact i think we played we played something like 12 or 14 fewer games last season um than we did the previous previous season because there's just so many fewer games than when you're playing in the championship. So I, I will be fascinated to see whether or not we actually take one of the, the, the cups seriously this time around. Um, but yeah, I'm not holding out much hope um, given that I think once, when it comes around to it, um, we, we've got a, a weakened team this week against, uh, against Fulham, who I think will probably rotate quite a bit as well. So maybe we will get through that, but um, when it comes around to the FA cup, it will depend where we are in the table. And I think if we are, struggling in the bottom half of the the table when we may not be too keen to put out the strongest side in the fa cup when that finally rolls around as well so yeah watch this space but we are definitely seeing something slightly different this season from what we've seen in the first few yeah i think that's a really interesting point because i would think if you were struggling in the league you'd actually want to focus more on the cups just to bring a bit more uh fan joy but uh yeah if you're doing poorly enough then you're in the relegation fight maybe Maybe a little bit less so, but uh, we can talk about about Leeds start here in a little bit. But for now, we'll take a break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Jay, we'll start off with you talking a little bit about Crystal Palace. Uh, we had you on first show of the season, if memory serves, and we were talking about how difficult your start to the year was. <laughs> well, I think you've done uh, pretty well. Uh, 
definitely may have beaten a team from North London. I don't really recall in particular, but uh, we talked about the good signings. We talked about Edward being a fantastic one that could really push you on. Things going very well for Vieira at the moment. Yeah, he's, you know, I mean, football fans have, I'm sorry, Palace fans have actually, um, you know, understood the fact that this is a, a season of transition, as it were, because Vieira is very different, as I alluded to in that first podcast, to to the management that we've appointed in the past. You know, very, very different you know, to Roy, Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew, Tony Pulis. It's a, it's a very new direction. Yes, we... You know, we we had a bit of a you know fumble around with Frank De Boer, but uh, that didn't last very long. And this this feels very different. To be fair, the media were very interested in comparing the two, but this feels very different. I mean, Vieira's come in, and yeah, we started the season pretty well considering the fixtures that we that we had. You know, always tough to start at Chelsea, Champions League winners, their first game at home after winning a Champions League. Yeah, you know, it's going to be tough for any side, isn't it? And as we've already uh, we were talking off air that you know Chelsea looked to be you know, the, the side that uh, look to want to win the title this year and have every chance of doing so. So, you know, that was always going to be tough. But actually going to the games afterwards, Brentford, newly promoted side, always tough to to face a newly promoted side. That was our first time game. Goalless draw, gets a point on the board. You know, we, we should have probably won it, but it, get, it got a point on the board for, for Vieira. And actually, even in those two games, you know, the first half against Chelsea was a little bit of a write-off. We didn't have the same 11 in that in that first game uh, than we have since. So that probably says an awful lot about the way that manner that, in which we've improved against Brentford. Um, we we brought in the likes of Anderson at centre-back to, to partner Gay, who we got from uh, Chelsea. And they've both looked superb at the back, um, you know, against, against Spurs. Sorry, Kev. Well, I'm not sorry. Um, against Spurs last weekend, you know, they were absolutely brilliant. I think the biggest stat and, and the biggest pattern about you can give them is the fact that Harry Kane didn't have a touch in, in, in our in our penalty box or have a shot on goal. And that's the first time it's ever happened to Harry Kane in the Premier League. So I think, you know, that just shows you how well Anderson and Gay played together in that game last weekend. A little bit different against Liverpool, going up to Liverpool, but actually, you know, I didn't I didn't feel disappointed to lose 3-0 yesterday. It was a scoreline that flattered Liverpool. It really did because we made two couple of stupid mistakes at um, at set pieces late in the game. And uh, and Claude actually said after the game, you know, that, that was a tough 3-0 win. And, and that probably says a lot about the way that we played the game. We had chances in that game. And I think all Palace fans wanted to see from a Palace side after the last few seasons is actually going to places like Anfield and competing, not going up there to try and not to lose. And and it's two very different things. I mean, we hit the post in the first five minutes twice against Danford, against Liverpool yesterday at Anfield. And that probably says an awful lot about the way Patrick Vieira is trying to to get Palace to play football. And this and this group of players particularly are a very exciting bunch of players. I already mentioned the two centre-backs, Conor Gallagher in the midfield, uh, up and down the whole game, a really astute loan signing. And after, after Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think a lot of Palace fans... Uh, actively said on social media, not going to fall in love with another loan loan signing again after, you know, Loftus Cheek went back to went back to Chelsea and obviously kind of disappeared off the face of the earth a little bit, hasn't he? But um Conor Gallagher after three or four games in, <laughs> it's happening again. You know, he's just a, a, you know absolute superstar in the midfield, full of energy, scores goals, just exactly what we needed. And, you know, a lot of Palace fans have said already, you know, go to Steve Parish and say 
Chelsea, how much do you want for this player? But, you know, he, he wants to play for Chelsea. He's already come out and said that, so it's a fair play to him. So we enjoy him for the season, um, you know, as, as we should. Um, elsewhere, Edward, I mean, great signing, scored the two goals against Spurs last weekend off the bench um, and then came on yesterday against Liverpool and had two really good chances. And yes, he didn't score, but actually he's proved already that he's a player that, you know, He's got the license to to roam around that box and actually be in that position to to be on the end of things. So that that's really promising as well. Um, so yeah, I, disappointed to lose yesterday against Liverpool it says a lot actually because uh, you know a lot of time us fans in outside the top six think some of these games are free hits going to places like Anfield and the Etihad and and Old Trafford. But actually, that's all Palace fans wanted. We want a team to be able to compete away from home against these big sides. And if we get something great, you know, yesterday was a lot about, yeah, we went one nil down, should have had a penalty uh, for a trip on Benteke, you know, swings and roundabouts really, isn't it? Sometimes another day you get a decision, other times you don't. Well, very rarely at Anfield, but yeah, it's another story. Um, and it could have been quite different, you know, in that game had that penalty been given. A few other decisions elsewhere went against us. Didn't probably didn't get a fair run of the green, and we end up losing three nil. But you know, I'd rather lose three nil going for it, trying to get back in the game, than actually losing one nil and holding on to that one nil loss, which is what we would have tried to have done under previous managers. So, I think there's a lot of excitement around Palace. There's still a lot of nervousness as well. But actually, you're right, Kev. It's been a good start to the season considering the fixture list we've had. You know, we've gone to Chelsea, we've gone to Anfield and we're sitting here with five points after five games. I think that's a really good return for a new manager to the Premier League and we're playing football. You know, that, <laughs> that's the biggest thing about it. And we've still got the likes of Eze and Elise really to come into the side, really which, which is even more exciting. So, so yeah, we're still a little bit nervous about how the season could pan out. But actually, we've so showed an awful lot so far about how Vieira wants us to play the game, how we're playing football, uh, possession-based. And it's actually been really good to watch. I, I think I think I said it um, last week, actually, to... to, um, uh, to well, I think I said it online, actually, that watching Palace's game last week, I mean, I've enjoyed Palace winning games. I've enjoyed results for Palace over the last few years, but actually enjoying a performance, sorry, Kev, against Spurs that we did last week, I haven't enjoyed a Palace performance like that for quite some time. Um, and that probably... And that probably says an awful lot about where Vieira is trying to take us, which is uh, which is really good. Yeah, yeah. You were one of the several clubs that uh, during that match, there was commentary at the, the Denver Spurs bar that we hadn't been the best looking team in any of the games we played thus far, which uh, not very good news for us. But but I do agree. You looked really good uh, in that one as well. You mentioned Edouard obviously didn't start either of the two matches, but uh Obviously came on as a very high-impact sub against us, and then slightly less so against Liverpool. Although, as you said, I, th- I think things... The, I don't think the scoreline flattered you, although the XG was similar to the scoreline, which was very surprising, given, like you said, the two early chances that you had, and you had a, a few more throughout. But uh, when do you think Ed Order will be just, like, a stapled name in the eleven, or do you think you're more willing to just kind of, like, work him in, as Benteke obviously brings something to, to, to his game that you probably aren't going to get out of Ed Ward? Yeah, I, I I think it's a matter of time. I, I it wouldn't surprise me if he starts against Brighton uh, a week Monday uh, in the derby game because he just he is a he's a goal scorer. He's a natural goal scorer. He, you know he gets into those positions like he did. I mean you know he was on for what what was he on for twenty minutes against Liverpool and he had two really good chances because he was in the right you know, in the right place. You know Benteke doesn't quite get into those positions. He kind of holds himself back, waiting for the cross to head the ball. Edwards completely different. 
So I think to give us a bit of a fighting chance, you know, you've got you've got to switch players around like that. You know, Benteke had a really good second half of last season, scored goals, but actually again this season we're not giving him the right service. You know, you need to put a ball in his head and we're and we're not doing that. We don't have any out and out wingers as such. Wilf wants to play more of a central role, um, as he did last season, but actually he's, he, he has played more out wide. But he's he's a player that works the ball into the box a lot of the time rather than actually getting across him. And we don't have anybody out, out on the right unless we change switch up IU for Elise, which I think is going to happen as well because Elise's had two cameos, one against Spurs, one against Liverpool yesterday. Had what did he have about ten minutes yesterday again as well and and looked very good. You know he was the young player in the Championship last season and we got him for like eight million, which seems an absolute steal. Um, and of course Eze to come into the side as well, which I said you know very exciting. But yeah, Edward, I it wouldn't surprise me if Vera went and switched it up. Uh, and switch Benteke for Edward in that game against Brighton. But on the flip side, Benteke knows what this game means to us. You know, he scored in the game last season. He scored that 95th minute winner um, against Brighton last season. So he knows exactly what this game means to the fans. So he might hold off for another game. Uh, perhaps, I don't know. But it, I think it's only a matter of time before Edward comes into the starting lineup and has a full game as a, as the lone striker. And at least say as well, very similar. He'll probably replace Ayu because Ayu, I mean, he works hard. Um, but I think yesterday he had a he had a shot from distance and, and Wilf was free out on the left-hand side screaming for the ball. So I, he doesn't make the best decisions, unfortunately. Um, but you can't, you can't knock his work rate. But I think Elise will give us so much more creativity out on that wide wide you know out on the right whether it's Benteke in the middle or Edward I think you know he will provide a lot more ammunition in there so um so yeah matter of time I think I think Edward gets match fit properly for a full 90 minutes and he'll be in gotcha well I, I'm sure every neutral is looking forward to that because him and Gallagher and Elise once he gets back and as a which I assume is going to mm. be after the, the turn of the year but you got you got some exciting players there and, and after the exodus mm. of the aged ones uh, in the summer uh, i think all of a sudden palace are looking like a pretty exciting side uh coming to you now john to talk a little bit about leeds maybe less of an exciting start to the year you already mentioned you know the the swashbuckling play style from last year not really living up to it just yet currently a bottom three defense in the league as well uh do you think this is anything do you think this is more of an internal leads thing? You're just being able to, to reach the heights that you did last season? Or do you think that opposing teams have a little bit of a better plan of how to deal with, with Bielsa and how you were playing last year? I think it's a bit of both. You, know, you say we have a bottom three of the, of the league defense, um, but we pretty much had a bottom three of the league defense last season. Um, <laughs> in fact, in terms of XGA, I'm pretty sure we were in the bottom three. The difference between us and the other teams around us in that table is that we had, you know, we were a top five XG team. So we're putting up huge amounts of XG. Now that's the Bielsa way you, you risk conceding goals by going to try and score them. And um, that's all well and good last season when you're scoring the goals that you, um, that you, the, the chances that you create and you don't concede the chances that you concede. Uh, but that's not happening as much this time around this season. Now, it's not just variance, though, um, that we're seeing. I, d- I do think there's an element to what you're saying about opposition sides having a chance to see what leads are up to and, and working out ways to counter that. And I think both Everton and uh, Burnley were unlucky not to beat us in those two games we picked up points from um, because they realised that so much of what we need to do is get the ball quickly into wide areas to our attacking players. And if you can do that, then we will generate chances. And they they were able to sit a little bit deeper. They set their fullbacks. They they pressed us 
quite um, considerably in wide areas and it just really um, hampers our attack um, and so I think we'll see smart clubs um, smart managers doing the similar things um, I think there will be a level obviously at which there are top four teams who have the attacking capacity to just turn us over as we've seen with Liverpool and Manchester United so far as well doing that but I think the majority of teams outside of that that crop of elite clubs will just do that they will sit deep they won't um, leave space in behind fullbacks for, for Leeds to attack. And I think doing that will mean that Leeds will spend a lot of time labouring a way to get there. So um, that that's a very negative assessment. I, I do think that we will be roughly fine. Uh, I just think that we've variance down compared to last season. And also, yeah, I, I think that there are sort of internal issues that I touched on before. Namely, we don't have really the sort of squad available to us to really kick on this time around. So it's a case of just yeah enjoying uh, I think what will be a fairly miserable season at times for Leeds but it will be enough to stay up and I suppose at this point that's the most important thing yeah I think you fall even though it's early into that very nice group of there are at least three worst teams um, so yeah I, yeah I don't think you're yeah. you're really in significant danger there um, not to make too much what I was just talking to Jay about but uh, you mentioned earlier obviously the signing of Dan James uh, being basically the the main signing this summer and I was very curious about that because you spent a fair chunk of money on him, but his two best positions are already filled by two of your better players in Rafinha. And I personally rate Jack Harrison highly, potentially because he was the number one MLS draft pick <laughs> back when that happened. But I was just curious how you're planning on getting Dan James into the starting 11 regularly, which one would assume you would try to do given the price tag. Yeah, I mean, don't talk to me about the Dan James signing. You know, we've, uh, it's it's just a, a, another example of the lack of joined up thinking that we've seen at Leeds this summer. Mm. You've, when you come out of the the last season with a top half finish, everything going well for you, you would think that a little bit of smart thinking about the trajectory of the squad would have been in order. It would have been good to bring some players through, maybe even some young players who you could blood this season uh, and then have them ready for the following season when we know we're going to have to move on maybe four or five players. None of that's really happened. We brought in Junior Firpo at left back because we needed to, because we sold our only left back. Uh, and just an example of the lack of depth we had, that when you go down from Junior Firpo, who is our only specialist left back, you have Stuart Dallas, who fills in everywhere for us at the moment. Um, so this season has played in centre midfield and right back um, and left back. So you, you've got a player covering who is covering a lot of different positions. And then beyond that, you're then going down to the under 18s. You're skipping the under 23s entirely. We don't have an under 23s left back. So that's that's the sort of um, the, the sort of squad depth that we're working with in certain areas. We've spent the last three seasons trying to bring in a central midfielder. Uh, haven't brought one in, tried to get Conor Gallagher. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of effusive praise for Conor Gallagher, and rightly so. I am a very big fan and was desperate for us to get him. That never that never transpired. Season before, we nearly got Mikhail Cuisance from, from Bayern on loan. That fell through when we were given the option of getting Rafinha. Ooh, if Rodrigo so, Paul at the time would have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, although I'm not sure, sure how much truth there was in that. Although, again, a lot of frustration there because we brought in Rodrigo um, Moreno rather than Rodrigo de Paul. And um, his his transfer has been a bit of a... Uh, an interesting one for Leeds fans. And I think most Leeds fans now just think that's a failed experiment and wish that Marcelo Bielsa didn't try and fit him into our midfield every week. Um, but yeah, we, we spent the sort of money that on Rodrigo that you would expect 
probably would have brought Rodrigo de Paul to us and that would have solved a lot of problems for us. And the same is true with, with Dan James, like you say, we filling a position that we didn't, we, we needed a player, we needed a backup, uh, we needed a who could come on on the left, I think, and invert. Um, we didn't need to spend 25 million on a on a player who actually don't think adds that much to to what it is that we do i think the the, the way that i would use dan james if i have to was would be if we are stretching teams late on in games bring him on for the final 20 minutes look to try and get him behind but build the, the sort of build up that we do in our in the wide areas through our attacking mid uh, midfielders uh, our, our wide uh, attackers is 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 really quite intricate build-up play, forming triangles with the central midfielder, the fullback, and the, and the wide player, and we're just not seeing Dan James doing anything of that. I I I find him a remarkably like just a remarkable player insofar as so he's one of the fastest players in the league, obviously in that position, but his dribbling numbers are really poor. He doesn't dribble a lot, and when he does, he's not a very successful dribbler. So he does rely on on pure pace, and I think that dribblers like that for a team like like um like like leads okay you're going to be fine if they're going to leave space open for you but we've already talked about how opposition clubs are reducing space for leads in those areas so i think he's just a really easy player to to sort of mark out of games or or just render useless in games as well and i think again the frustration being that you spent 25 million on a player who we could have probably done without when we have huge gaps in our squad we could have brought in a couple of players i think easily for 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 that i think we could have brought in two players better than dan james for the price of dan james and i think that's the sort of frustration for for a lot of leeds fans Gotcha. Yeah, it certainly was an intriguing one from the outside looking in. Uh, <laughs> if well, you get an injury to one of those players, like Jack Harrison wasn't available for this one, and then boom, you got Dan James willing to just step in and take that spot. But short of injuries, yeah, I don't think he's in your best 11, which makes it a very interesting yeah. choice to spend as much as you did on him. Uh, we'll wrap up talking about players as well. Maybe we've touched on all of them already, but I wanted to talk about the players that have really hit the ground running since joining our clubs in the summer. So uh, Jay, we'll start off with you. And if it's Edward already, uh, I'm sorry, we talked about him. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, we'll give Edward a bit more time. He had eight minutes and then 20 minutes yesterday. So uh, I always say Conor Gallagher. He's been, he's been excellent. Didn't play the first game against Chelsea because obviously that's his, his parent club, but he's, really impressed us as as palace fans and i think one of the bigger things was at the top after the spurs win um sorry to keep mentioning it kev but you know uh, um Gallagher was the last player are. off the pitch <laughs> that day yeah <laughs> you sense the tone of my voice um yeah conor geller was was the last person off the pitch that day um and with a massive grin on his face so yeah, it says an awful lot that he's uh yeah, he's played really well since he's come in after the Chelsea game. Uh, a, a massive shout out to the two centre backs, uh, Mark Gay and um, Joachim Anderson. Obviously, Anderson came from Fulham, had a good season with Fulham last season, um, but obviously uh, ultimately went down. But we've managed to pick both of those two players up and replaced both of our centre backs with those two. And their ball playing centre backs, they just look so comfortable at the back. Yeah, we had a defeat at Anfield yesterday, but even then, you know, they 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 weren't they were they weren't deterred from playing that game. And uh, yeah, I think Gay's up there as uh, one of the players with the most passes in the Premier League so far this season, which which is a stat I I, I was astounded with um, from coming from one of our centre backs because we're just not used to that at Palace as a centre back. You know, it, it's normally a case of I mean, you know, Mamadou Sekko used to try and pass the ball out or dribble the ball out from the back. It never ended very well when he uh, when he did make an appearance for us. So um, yeah, we're we're not used to ball playing centre backs. But these two are 
really classy and yeah a big shout out to them i mean conor gallagher has been great but those two have been you know almost just as good so i think shout outs to them uh, elsewhere we haven't really seen much of everybody else elise's had a couple of glimpses so far and he looks a real talent for us as i think he's going to be um as good as a season hopefully once he gets into the side as as Eze had for us last season and obviously um you know we we, we know what Eze did for us so yeah edward i think he's just going to yeah, he's he's going to come in the side. I'll be interested to see him play for whole 90 minutes, really, uh, and see what he can do from there. But promising signs already. Um, but yeah, I think for for mostly it's Gallagher, but closely followed by Gay and Anderson. Gotcha. And then, John, uh, we weren't overly full of praise for Jack Harrison just then. And <laughs> Junior Firpo is pretty much the only remaining choice here. So <laughs> what have you made of him thus far? Yeah, well... Junior's been out with COVID for a bit as well, so we've we've not seen as much of him as we would maybe have liked. And he's an interesting player. So he's a player who was he had a really good season for Real Betis um, a few seasons ago when he was playing in a as a wing back in their system uh, under Kike Setien, and, and was that that was when they were flying. And then Kike Setien goes to Barcelona, uh, and Junior goes along with him. Uh, doesn't really manage to break into the team because Jordi Alba exists. Um, and yeah, so. I guess the, the the club sort of thought there was value there that they were were going to be able to um, bring him in fairly cheaply, which they did in the end. I think it was thirteen million pounds, fifteen million euros. Um, and I think, in terms of, it, it's a funny one in terms of what the fans are expecting. I think when you bring in a player from Barcelona like that, there's just this expectation that he's just going to be bombing on down the wing, setting people up left, right, and centre. Uh, and that's definitely his strong suit. And a lot of the scouting stuff we did on him for all stats on we were were saying, no, this guy's really good going forward. Maybe a bit, little bit more questionable staying back. We've not actually seen him going forward that much um, since he's, he's, he's arrived. I think partly that's because there seem, he seems to sort of be a little bit nervous about going forward because he knows that he's going to have to track back. Um, but also because Bielsa has been making him invert quite a lot. So he'll he'll come inside rather than going outside. And now obviously that's probably because uh, both Jack Harrison and Dan James have been have been playing a sort of classic wingers, sort of sitting really far out wide uh, and not really giving him the option to, to overlap. Um, so the, the encouragement has been for him to underlap. Um, but he's been fine. I think, um, yeah, the expectation from the fan base has been that he's going to be brilliant and he hasn't been brilliant. Um, and so I think for a lot of the fan base, he's been underwhelming, but I think compared to Gianni Alioski, who we've had before, he's just so much more, um, solid in build up. Um, he holds the ball really well, helps us possess the ball, which is something we're struggling with. And I think in time, we'll see more of that more ball carrying progressive um uh, galloping runs down the the down the wing that that I think were so attractive to to us in watching his clips from previous seasons so I think he'll be fine I think um it's it's just a case of at the moment him playing at a team who are struggling a little bit to possess the ball themselves and so we're not really seeing as upside but I think in time it'll be fine and um I, I think the fans will learn to appreciate the things that he does hmm. Certainly hope so, because, yeah, he can be excellent, as, as we've seen at previous clubs. Uh, that will do it for us today, though. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. It's been great being back on the back on the pod. So hopefully, uh, be back on again soon. Um, I'm Jay. I'm founder and editor of The Eagles Beak. You can catch us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The Eagles. 
Eagles Speak. And also, I'm producer and host of the Marina Sports Show on 107 Marina FM, my local community radio station. So, if you fancy listening to that, tune in online. You can get us on all socials Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Meridian SS. Yeah, and if you like the stuff that we're putting out, then uh, you can follow me either on my personal account, um, which is John underscore McKenzie on Twitter, uh, or follow All Stats Aren't We. And as I've said, we have a bit more of a focus on the stats and the tactics, and that's at All Stats Aren't We on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, and you can find it by searching EPL Roundtable just into Google or any of your podcasting apps and uh you're sure to find it. And it seems as though you already have. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. That'll do it for us today. Thanks to you two so much for joining me today. It was a, it was a pleasure. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.